Keyboard Kimura podcast is brought to you by OneBone. If you're a bigger guy like me, chances are you've had problems finding shirts and gear that fits properly. The length is there, the sleeves are too wide, and the fit is all boxy. The sleeves are good, the shirt is a little too short, meaning your belly or your butt sticks out, which nobody likes. OneBone is the answer. The gear is made of 95% cotton and 5% spandex, meaning you get a little stretch and it fits right in all the right places. There's length to cover your gut and your butt with a number of different designs, styles, and colors to give you a complete wardrobe of good-looking gear that makes you feel comfortable and stylish every day. And as a supporter of this podcast, OneBone is offering you 10% off your next purchase with the promo code ESK10. That's my initials, E-S-K, all capitals, and the number 10. Just go to their website, onebonebrand.com, check out all the gear, figure out your size with their terrific sizing guide, and get yourself into some fresh new gear this summer and become a part of the growing One Bone community. One Bone, the biggest brand. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Monday morning edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast. I am E. Spencer Kite. As always, I hope your week has started well. I hope the outlook for your week is good. I hope there are good things in store for you over the next bunch of days as we move forward towards the UFC returning to Long Island with a terrific fight card on ABC, an early start time for me here on the on the West Coast on Saturday, 8 a.m. prelim kickoff. Uh, you guys know I love coffee and fisticuffs, so bring it. I'm on recaps for UFC.com this week, so I won't be tweeting. I won't be doing um, my usual sort of fight day interactions, but I will absolutely be watching. I will absolutely be looking forward to it. And over the next bunch of days, we'll absolutely be bringing you a bunch of content about that fight card. But before we get to that, I want to get to the subject Harry and I sort of teased and talked about a little bit yesterday on the Next Day Takeaways. And if you haven't listened yet, please go download it, subscribe to the newsletter, check it out. Um, I think it's a really good conversation. I, I love this show. I love talking to Harry. I think we make each other better and we make each other think about things in different ways. And that's really, really important to me. Um, and it's why I value him and his presence on that show so much. So the thing we started talking about yesterday, and, and it started early in the day, actually, as we were kind of going over some of the results from, from UFC Vegas 58, was just sort of the need or my belief that we have, we need to expand the lexicon of how we speak about these athletes and how we quantify and measure these athletes and, and discuss these athletes in terms of where they fit in their division, in terms of where they're at in their development and all of these different elements because it feels like there is just a lot of sameness. Um, one of the things Harry said to me yesterday after we finished recording the show and kind of kept talking about some stuff that I really want to put into practice and I want to acknowledge here up front because I think it's important. I've spent a lot of time shouting, railing against others not doing things my way, not seeing things my way, and that's going to stop for the most part. I'm going to continue to try to do my best to stop that. And and the thing I'm going to change, and it was a it was a point that Harry made to me, and it's sort of the way I want to frame this, is look, I got some cool ideas about the way we can talk about these athletes, and I'm going to lay them out here throughout the rest of this podcast. And I really hope you'll listen. 
I hope they resonate. I hope they're things that make sense. And I hope they're things you want to discuss and, and bring back to me and bring to your friend groups and bring to your Twitter groups and, and all of those different things, because I think there are some cool ways and some cool ideas to talk about here. And so I want to get into them. So thank you for listening. I apologize for all the times I shouted and screamed about other people not doing things the right way. Everybody's going to do their thing their way. This is my way going forward. And this is the way I want to talk about these athletes and these fighters and these prospects and contenders and all of those things. So if you'll bear with me, if you'll hang out with me for probably half an hour, 45 minutes, we'll really get into it. All the way back at UFC 211, Frankie Edgar was matched up against Yair Rodriguez, and it was a fight where a lot of people, myself included, were interested to see what Yair could bring to the octagon that night against Frankie Edgar, the former lightweight champion who had been down and challenged for challenged for the title at feather at featherweight already a couple of times, and that was the event where Frankie gave us his iconic quote of "There are levels to this game." And I think that's a thing that we all quote regularly, but don't necessarily deploy in terms of the way we talk about these athletes. So what I want to talk about is that not all things are created equal. Being in, for instance, the top 15 at lightweight is not the same as being in the top 15 at middleweight. There are different kinds of prospects. There are different kinds of contenders. And I think those qualifiers before how we describe, say, a prospect or a contender. So are they a long range or a short range contender? Are they an emerging contender? Are they a fringe contender? Are they, you know, a one star prospect or a five star prospect? Kind of what I touched on yesterday was sort of that collegiate recruiting class kind of idea of the five star prospects or the guys that have the opportunity to go in the first round of their respective sports draft, they are the superstar potential talents that have been identified where we don't necessarily feel like we need the really slow build. We touched on a couple yesterday on the show. Harry mentioned Zabit Magomed Sharapov when he came into the game. It was apparent very quickly that he was on a different level and could just skip over sort of that four, five, six fight build to get to fighting some of those upper echelon fighters in the featherweight division. Whereas we still do have some of those two-star or three-star prospects that come in that need those three, four, five, six fights before we get a better sense of where they're at. And that's the piece that I really want to pay attention to. And I'm going to, to work very hard to make sure I articulate both on these shows and in my writing is those qualifiers. So some of the words I have <clears throat> written down here, legit contender versus emerging contender versus fringe contender. Those are all three different things. They're, they're different types of contenders. So looking at a division, you have, let's say, lightweight, where we have, you know, Islam Makhachev is a legitimate contender. Hafael Faziv is an emerging contender. And I would say somebody like Michael Chandler right now is a fringe contender because he's been there. He's already lost in a championship fight. Yes, he rebounded against Tony Ferguson, but we haven't seen him in there beating that upper echelon guy quite yet. And so he's 
He's always in the picture. Conor McGregor is a perfect example of a fringe contender, right? He's always in the conversation. He hasn't really done enough merit-wise to be there, but he's always going to be in the conversation. He's always going to be on the fringes of these discussions. And I think those qualifiers dovetails nicely with something Harry and I have talked about a bunch in the last couple of weeks. Um, and that's Max Holloway's appearance on Morning Combat, his sit-down with Luke Thomas, where he talked about the different levels to each division and the different really tiers of your division, right? So getting to the UFC is one kind of accomplishment. Getting to the point where you're ranked in the top 15 takes another step. And into the top 10 is a different step. And into the top five, another. Top three, another. Becoming champ, another one. Staying champ, another one. And each is more difficult to achieve. They're all great achievements. They're all markers along the way. But they're very, very different things. And we, I want to make sure that when I'm talking about these athletes, if somebody's been in that top three, that carries a different level of weight than somebody that hasn't been there. If somebody's been a champion, that carries a different amount of value in talking about them or, or forms a different way for me to talk about them than if they haven't been in the top five yet. And one of the things that Harry said in the, you know, kind of echoing what Max said on the show was like, it's all well and good for you to go out and win three, four, five straight, like the Kevin Holland year, right? In, in 2020, that's great. That's still a terrific year. Don't get me wrong. Five wins in a calendar year is amazing. It's only happened two other times, Neil Magny, Roger Huerta. But it was against lower tier competition than what he's going to face going forward. That's not to diminish what he's done, but it's different than somebody going out and getting two wins in the top 15 or a win just outside of the top 15 and then a win or two in the top 15. Those are different things. It's why in 2020, when we were putting together fighter of the year lists, for me, Davison Figueredo is the fighter of the year because yes, he, he only went 3-0 compared to, or 2-0-1, I think, is the, the official. 2-0 in a no contest is the official result for the year versus Kevin Holland going 5-0. But the magnitude of the fights and the level of the competition that Davison Figueredo faced that year, to me, is far greater than what Kevin Holland faced during his five-fight winning streak. So Kevin Holland was breakout fighter of the year. Davison Figueredo, for me was fighter of the year and it's because of this differentiation that I want to try to drive home in my work that there are these different levels that we have to pay attention to and that I really want to discuss I really want to make sure I get out there so that it's understood the difference between that Kevin Holland year and the year Davison had or a victory against somebody who's just outside the top 15 versus somebody who's in the middle middle of the pack in their respective division. Again, we touched on it a little yesterday, and, and I want to drive it home. I want to make sure that it's it's clear, and it's something that I really, truly am going to talk about a lot more. We see fighters that are on, on their way up and still working their way towards those rankings. They're the men and women that we often see compete 
three or four times in a year. There are absolutely exceptions to that rule. We see guys like Neil Magny that are ranked that fight as often as they can. Marina Rodriguez had a four-fight year um, last year. So there, there certainly are exceptions. But for the most part, it's athletes that are looking to move forward and looking to get that number next to their name that compete fairly regularly. And they're able to do that because the stakes aren't necessarily as high. The level of competition isn't necessarily as great. The amount of prep that goes into it, the risks inherent in those bouts aren't necessarily as big as they are when you're facing a top 15 opponent. And it's why, conversely, the other side of that is we see so many fighters in the top 15 that fight once a year or twice a year and are picky about who they're facing because all of these fights now now carry so much risk and carry so many different variables that we have to factor in in terms of the level of competition they're facing and the amount of prep that goes into it and the stakes involved both in terms of things like rankings and championship positioning but also financial and, and down the road, right? And so it becomes a thing to me where I want to tie as many different variables and, and look at and think through as many different factors and variables and pieces of this with each athlete so that when I'm talking about them, when I'm presenting them, here on this platform, in other platforms. I'm speaking about them and giving listeners, readers, viewers the most complete picture of them that I can. And so some of the things that I want to consider going forward, some of the factors that I want to make sure that I touch on and, and relate in terms of fighter A and fighter B. And I know that comparisons are tough. They are, of course, the thief of joy. But it's, it's one of the few ways that people can, that we can all sort of understand a little bit better and a little more quickly sort of what I mean when I'm laying out some of these things. So the list of factors that I have written down here that I want to consider and talk about as I'm going through and talking about athletes are their age and experience, the developmental stage that they're at in their career, where are they, how many fights have they had, um, what have we seen thus far? Did they come in from a collegiate wrestling background and so that part of their game is super sound and they're just working on their striking? Are they a former BJJ world champion? Are they a terrific kickboxer? Where are they at in terms of their overall mixed martial arts development? And then tethered to that, what is the growth potential? What in the few fights that we've seen have those performances shown us that we can then interpret and extrapolate into kind of getting an idea of where these men and women can climb to in their respective division. What division they're in is certainly a factor to me. As I said earlier, ascending in the middleweight division is easier than it is ascending in the lightweight division. It's just a fact, right? The top 15 at lightweight is very different than the top 15 at middleweight. There are fighters that are outside of the top 15 at lightweight right now that in two or three years could very much be in the top five, if not fighting for championships. Whereas I don't know that that's necessarily true beyond maybe one or two people 
in a bunch of other divisions. And so you have to consider what division these, these athletes are competing in. The other one or the last one is team and training situation. I think more and more we're seeing the importance of, and it's not necessarily being at a big camp, but it's getting quality coaching, getting quality training, being in, being in a position where the time on the mats and the time in the gym is producing development, is producing growth, is producing think tangible results, I guess, is the best way to put it. We're seeing in the space between each fight that there's improvements in a certain area, in conditioning, in fight IQ, in, in all those things that go into making an athlete a better fighter and giving them a better chance to progress up the divi progress up the divisional ranks. And this is where it gets hard because the next thing I have written down is that I have to be consistent with it and take this into consideration with everybody. This is the way I want to talk about literally everybody. And I think the key and the reason that I want to be so clear on that and so steadfast in that is because for me, that's when I can really try to articulate and show the differences between these levels. So looking at, let's say, the featherweight division where we just had a championship fight a couple weeks ago. Alexander Volkanovsky, to me, is one of the three best fighters on the planet right now. He is at a different level than even Max Holloway, as he showed at UFC 276. And on a different level than Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez, who fight this weekend in the main event. And then it's another tier down to Josh Emmett and Calvin Cater and the next group. And then there's the young ascending group with Arnold Allen and Mavsari Vloyev and Bryce Mitchell. And for me, going through these kind of criteria and using these qualifiers is the way that I can make clear where all of these fighters stand, where they all sort of measure up. Who are the ones that I think are really worth paying attention to that have real opportunities going forward versus somebody that maybe I'm not that high on versus somebody that I need a couple more looks at? We talked about David Onama on Sunday as kind of that perfect guy where it's you take a bunch of these factors and one of them being agent, two of them being agent experience. Well, he's 28 and that's his third UFC fight. And you compare that with someone like Jalen Turner, who's 27 but has now had seven or eight UFC fights and has had 18 fights overall in his career. And you can see the difference in experience and developmental stage. And some of that comes down to training situation. And some of that comes down to the division they're in and their growth potential. And so it's applying these things across the spectrum to everybody and not just picking and choosing. And for me, it's not getting lazy with just saying this person is an ascending talent or this person is a, you know, middle-class light heavyweight or this person is a tier below this group. It's articulating exactly why I feel that way so that when I put someone else above them or below them, it, it carries a greater resonance. It, it's a clearer depiction 
of kind of where everybody stands and why I'm I'm paying close attention to somebody or why I'm not paying close attention to someone else. One of the other things that came up on Thursday or on Thursday's show, on Sunday's show, the next day takeaways with Harry. He mentioned that like if we had a top 50, a universally recognized, globally accepted top 50 rankings for all these divisions that everybody paid attention to and put stock into, it would present kind of a better a better understanding and a greater understanding of where these athletes fit and sort of contextualizing a lot of what I'm saying here because that's the other, that's the tough part with this stuff, right? It takes drilling at home and being consistent with it and sticking to it and maybe there being some other adopters or some other people that start to speak this way outside of just myself to get these things to drive home, to to show that separation in the levels of talent and in the levels of prospects and contenders and just fighters in general. Whereas if we had a top 50, you can get a better understanding when somebody is number eight versus somebody is number 38. And you can see why 38 could maybe get to here. But then do you think about, you know, you look at maybe 25, can they get past that person? It gives a kind of greater overall picture. We don't have that. It's actually a thing that I, I really wish we did have within this industry, within this community was, I remember when I started out Bloody Elbow in USA Today, did the consensus rankings and I thought they were great. I understand why they don't exist now. I understand that it is very difficult as this sport has exploded, as the number of platforms is, have increased and sort of allegiances are what they are and it's hard to, it's hard to cross promote. Um, but it is a thing. It's it's why I talk about sites like Fight Matrix. It's why I'll look at the rankings on Tapology and I'll look at the rankings on all of the major sites to sort of get an, an overall picture of things. But I think that is a part of it too, is just we need a universal, we would be better off if there was a universal way to quantify and qualify where these athletes are at in terms of their division and in terms of their positioning that makes it a little bit easier to see in front of you the things I'm talking about and going to be writing about and the ways I'm going to be speaking about these athletes going forward. The thing that's really interesting to me, and it's a part of why I wanted to get into this conversation and get into this explanation, is that when we get into, <clears throat> excuse me, that that top 15 group, when we get into those ranked athletes that are trying to move forward and trying to work their way to the very top. That seems to be the point. That seems to be the point where we get almost hyper-focused. That's the point where we really drill down on these athletes and start really getting into the nuts and bolts and the fine elements of their game. And how does it match up against the couple people ahead of them that we know a little bit more about, right? We look at a fight like Saturday's main event, Rafael Faziv against Rafael Dos Anjos, and we say we have that list of questions that we need Faziv to answer before we can move him forward, and we know what RDA brings to the table, and that was the that was the draw of that fight, right? That was the the magnetism of that fight. 
was we were going to get a bunch of these answers about Fazeev to questions that we didn't necessarily ask on the way up because we knew the pedigree and we sort of knew and had an understanding of the level he brings to the octagon. And so fights against Mark Jacasey and Hanato Moicano and Bobby Green all sort of carried that a little, a few questions, a little bit of questions, a little bit of uncertainty, but it also felt like we knew that Fazeev could beat these guys or had these skills and the potential to beat these guys because of all of those things that, that are factors, right? Because of the age and experience, because of where he's at in his development, because of where he trains, because of the division that it is, because of what we've seen thus far in the octagon each time out. But then we get into a, a top 15 matchup or a top 10 matchup and we really kind of pull it apart and start getting granular and start getting into all of the nuts and bolts of it. And for me, I want to do that with everybody. I want to start doing that with literally every fighter that I can. Now, that doesn't mean that every single fight, every single matchup, both sides need to be or should be or will be pulled apart and inspected right down to their very last molecule. Because I think there are a whole bunch of athletes that we understand where they are. We understand who they are, what they bring to the table. All of those criteria are pretty clear and pretty clearly set in stone for a lot of fighters. At a certain point, you are who you are. You've reached your level of development. You've garnered enough experience. There's not pieces that you're missing. Maybe you haven't gotten to X, but if you haven't gotten there yet, it's because of Y, those sorts of things. We know who those athletes are. But for contenders, for ascending fighters, for prospects, for, you know, to steal from, from fantasy sports, for these post-hype sleepers that have come in with a big rush, maybe had to take a couple steps back and are starting to move forward again, I want to make sure that I pull them apart and I look at them through all of these lenses and through all of these criteria so that I'm getting and giving the most detailed and most comprehensive analysis about them and explanation about why I feel the way I do about them going forward because I think that then creates a better informational platform for fans to make their decisions about, for readers to understand things about these athletes. Because for me, that's that's the greatest part. I want to be here as someone that can provide detailed information and insights that I'm fortunate enough to have the time and experience to be able to glean and to make these form these opinions and form these ideas about these athletes and have these sort of scouting reports and have these thoughts about where they fit because I've been able to go through and have watched all of the previous fights or can go and watch the previous fights as I'm going into a week to talk about whether it's three fighters a card, five fighters a card, however many fighters on a given card turn up that I want to go through this for to present that clear picture. And the other part of it, the last kind of part of it, is that it's a thing that Harry Harry mentioned at the end of, of Sunday's show. 
And it's just patience. It's just, we get, we get very excited and very sort of, we feel that rush with new and exciting fighters that sort of burst onto the scene because familiar and difficult isn't necessarily as sexy, right? So we get really excited about these prospects that arrive in the UFC from the Contender Series or from other organizations and they come in and they have those splashy debuts that really resonate against people that are at lower tiers of the division. But they resonate because we get highlight reel finishes and we get flashy moves and we get sort of all the stuff that pops off the screen but it also needs to be remembered that that these are against different tiers of fighters. And as they go forward, some of that flash and some of that highlight and some of that greatness isn't necessarily going to be there because the person standing across from them is going to know how to negate some of it and take some of that away and neutralize movements and attacks and make them fight a different style. And the best thing we can we can preach to people as they're watching fights and trying to come to their own conclusions about these athletes is patience. Give these athletes time. We've seen it time and again. I've said it a few times either on this podcast or in writing since UFC 275. Before that event, every champion in the UFC was over 30 years old. Yuri Prohashka changed that by earning the light heavyweight title, but even he is someone that is in his late 20s and has a wealth of experience. Generally speaking, you do not get to the top until you're in your late 20s, early 30s, and have gone through a bunch of these growth stages, a bunch of this developmental pieces. In most cases, you've lost a couple times and had to take a step back to then take those two steps forward. And we don't necessarily spend enough time sort of acknowledging those pieces of it and understanding those elements of it, right? Charles Oliveira is the perfect example. Prior to the winning streak that he is on now, he was a 500 fighter in the UFC. But he had been in the UFC for seven or eight years. And he had gone through a bunch of ups and downs and faced a bunch of adversity and kept persisting and got got better and made adjustments and made improvements. And now we see where he's at as the most complete version of himself and the best version of himself, the guy that understands who he is and what he can do in the cage far better now than when he was a flashy 21-year-old debuting or catching that first loss against Jim Miller or moving to featherweight or coming back to lightweight and constantly for those first few fights at lightweight, really pleading with the UFC to give him a chance to go back down to featherweight because that's where he really felt he could thrive. We want to rush people up the ladder and we want them to rush to get to their final form on a timeline that isn't necessarily fair because this sport is very much predicated on a balance of skill and experience and just pure application and and feel of these things within the octagon and within the gym and so for me my quest here is to really expand the lexicon and vocabulary 
so that I can give the clearest picture possible about who these athletes are, sort of where they're at, and if so inclined, what the future might hold. Because not everyone is equal, and when we talk about everybody as a contender, then it means nobody is a contender. When we refer to everyone as a prospect, then nobody is really a prospect. And I want to do my best to sort of pull those apart and show you the layers of it. Because to me, this really is like, pick whatever food analogy you want to use. Whether that's an onion, whether that's, you know, baklava, whether that's phyllo pastry, whether that's a croissant, whatever it is, there are layers and levels to this that are sometimes microscopic, sometimes very minute, sometimes hard to see, but sometimes very pronounced. We go back to the opening setup I mentioned, right? Frankie Edgar and, and Yair Rodriguez at UFC 2, 211 in Dallas. Going into that, they were ranked pretty closely together in the top 10. There was this expectation that Yair was ready to be there. He had beaten these people. He was on a five-fight winning streak. I think his last win was against the ghost of BJ Penn in Utah, I believe, which was just a weird booking, but whatever. But there was this expectation that he was just going to go out there and beat Frankie Edgar. Because look it, he has this buzz, he has this momentum, it's his time, it's his... And it just wasn't. And it actually hasn't been yet. And he has a chance on Saturday to finally get to a point that he hasn't gotten to yet. But that was so long ago now, right? Think about how long ago UFC 211 was. I think it's probably five or six years ago now. And we're still waiting for Yair Rodriguez to take that next step. And it's because taking that step is really goddamn difficult. Getting over that hurdle is really difficult. It's why I talk about things like appreciating the Rafael, Rafael Dos Anjos's, the Neil Magnes, the Jeremy Stevens's, that are able to stick around in the thick of the chase in their respective divisions for extended periods of time. So the results may not always be there. The wins may not always be there. But that longevity is a thing that we don't give enough credit and value to because we don't speak about the difficulty of it the way that maybe we should. And for me, I'm going to do my best to continue articulating those things with as much detail, with as much nuance, with as much separation as I can, because I think that's how we get the clearest picture of who these athletes are, where they stand, what their potential is, what their upside is, and what we may see of them going forward. And for me, that's what a lot of this is, is just trying to look forward and be prepared for that next wave and see who that next contender is as they're starting to work their way forward. So that when athletes do come along and put together runs, I'm not caught off guard. And there's going to be people, absolutely, that are going to just suddenly turn a corner and nobody's going to have seen it, myself included. But for the most part, I want to stick to these criteria and this idea of being real specific with the qualifiers I use to describe prospects and contenders and fighters in general. And really specific to talk about the factors that go into sort of deciding how I feel about an athlete and how I present that athlete. Because as I said, my aim is to give the clearest picture possible 
And I hope I can do that. I hope you enjoy that I'm trying to do this. I hope it makes sense to you. I look forward to hearing from people about this idea, about kind of the way we're, we're going to try to do things here at Keyboard Kimura going forward in terms of these conversations. It will mean that the 2023 version of Fighters to Watch will probably be a little bit bigger and a little bit heftier than even it was this year with 261 fighters. There'll be a little more detail to it. But I've got the time, if you're willing to, to come on this ride with me, and I hope I can present you with the, the best picture about these athletes going forward because I absolutely think we are in the best time ever in the UFC in terms of talent, both in terms of the level and the depth of talent across the roster. And I just want to geek out about fights with people. I just want to talk about these things all day on the coolest terms, on the best terms, with the most depth and clarity and diversity of language possible because I absolutely love this sport. I love these athletes. I love talking about them. I hope you guys do too, and I hope you enjoy the way I'm going to talk about them going forward. Have a great rest of your week. We'll be here all week with all kinds of UFC Long Island content. Um, we'll be back tomorrow with a fighter to watch. We'll be back on Wednesday with one question. There'll be a Charles Jordan interview coming soon in the next couple of days. 10 things on Thursdays, predictions on Fridays. I got to get back moving in the right direction. Last weekend was a tough weekend. Harry and I will be back next Sunday. I'll be back here next Monday. I am pumped up right now. I hope you like this. I hope you appreciate the idea. I, I want to hear from you. Let me know in the comments. Let me know on Twitter what you think of this kind of idea and this mission that I'm going to carry out for myself. I want to talk about these fighters and give you, you folks the most complete picture I can about these fighters and why I feel the way I do about them. I hope it makes sense. I hope I can, I hope I can execute. I'm going to try my best. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Have a great week. Know that you're loved. Most importantly, be good to one another. We'll talk to you next week.